You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. Hey everyone, this is another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. I'm your host, Chris Blair, and this week I sit down with the awesome and hilarious Jordan Walker. Jordan is from Texas and has been around music his whole life. He even got kicked out of his choir his senior year. His favorite number is two, and he moved to Nashville on 2-22-2012. He started playing the listening room regularly with his buddies like Mitchell Tenpitty, Adam Doliak, Devin Dawson, Andy Albert, and more. During a round with Johnny McGuire, they hit it off and eventually started their duo that I'm sure you've heard, Walker McGuire. You're going to hear the story behind how that started and the stories behind hits like Till Tomorrow, how he met Luke Combs in a bar when he was driving a car that wouldn't even start, and how that friendship created the hit song When It Rains It Pours that went number one on his birthday, October 29th, 2017. You're also going to hear Backseat Driver, a song that as a dad myself is one of my favorites. This is another great episode. Let's get to it. Here's Jordan Walker. Hey guys, this is Chris Blair with another episode of Stories Behind the Songs, and I'm here with my buddy Jordan Walker today. What's up, man? Jordan in the house. What's up, dude? Thanks for having me. This is Absolutely, awesome. Absolutely, man. This yeah, is this is going to be fun. So, um, yeah, man, let's just dive in and uh, start from the beginning. You're from Texas. Yep. Um, so walk me through, like, when did you find out, like, in your heart, like, hey, I got to do music? Man, when I was young, my, uh, I'm the oldest of five boys. And my mom had music on 24-7. Like, whether she was getting ready to go to work or go out or wherever she was going, there was music on in the house. And I kind of always sang, and I didn't really know. Obviously, when you're a kid, you think everybody sings, everybody can sing. It's, like, fun. You didn't know it could be a job. Um, But my mom said when I was, like, months old, like six months old, she would be singing, and I would be, like, humming the harmony to it. And she was like, (laughs) we kind of knew you needed to be music. My mom's a really great singer. My dad's a great singer as well. So... I don't know when the moment was. I just knew I always loved it. So yeah. it kind of just like knowing now that I get paid to write music, I'm like, this is a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, did you do that all through school? Yeah. So I was in choir in uh, all through middle school, high school, did like the all-state auditions and stuff and had a blast. And then um, my senior year, actually, I'd had a couple like scholarship offers from from different colleges in Texas wanting me to come be in their choir. But, like, I was like, oh, is that cool? Like, nobody wants to go to college. I'm like, I'm in the choir, I thought. And uh, my senior year, the second day senior year, I won class clown senior year. And uh, my second day. I can't day, see that at Yeah, all. my second day, I it was choir was right after lunch. It was fifth, fifth period. And um, I walked in, and we were, like, halfway through singing the song, and I burped. Like, I just had to burp. I just had lunch. And our choir teacher was new, and she goes, nope, I've heard about you. You're out of here. So she kicked me out of choir, day two. My mom cried like like someone died. Like she was like, this was your chance to go to college, da 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 So uh, I guess all, the, all through high school and middle school, I was in choir until second day, senior year. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Class clown, so yeah. that makes that makes sense. Yeah, I so. think like I think I'm the oldest, like I said, oldest of five. I think three of us have one class clown. So yeah. Just my brothers and I are idiots. Like yeah, just idiots. That's good though. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It, it's, I mean, I'm in the entertainment business, so yeah. it's like you kind of have to be like playing here all the time. People always say like, "Yeah, it's a music show, but you get like free comedy with it." Right. So I have yep. a lot of fun with it. So then, when did you um, when did you move to Nashville? Uh, I left Texas. Um, really big superstitious guy. So my favorite number is two. So I left Texas two twenty two of twenty twelve. So February twenty second. Um, moved up here. We stayed out at Hurricane Mills 
for one night and then drove in. So I got here the 23rd of February in 2012, so 11 and a half years. Wow. Yeah. It's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Less than a 10-year time for you. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. man. It's like, that's what I'll tell everybody. They're like, man, you seem like you got it figured out. And I was like, yeah, I'm 11 years into a 10-year town, so you would hope I have it figured out. So, But I still don't. (laughs) Nobody knows what they're doing. So it's awesome. Well, you've uh, we we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. You've been uh, you've been playing here, um, you know, since several yeah several, several versions ago. before. Yeah, yeah. So, my uh, I guess how long were y'all at Cummins Station? Uh, two thousand eight to two thousand eleven. Okay, so I came to town in I guess it was right before I moved here. I came to town and visited, and the first time I ever was in town everybody was like you got to go to the listening room and the coming station i mean it wasn't much bigger than the stage you yeah, know yeah and the first night there i saw phil barton and johnny bulford and they had written a woman like you yeah and they were talking about it and they were like oh man i think like we just pitched this to lee bryce this could be a lee bryce song and i remember thinking like oh this is so cool and i kind of got to see it from the ground up because then when i moved to town lee had cut it and then a year or so into town it was a huge hit and uh it was just really cool so like my first vivid memory of like seeing the trajectory of a song started in your building over wow. the station. So I got to see him go like, we wrote this and Lee might record it. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what that feels like. And then all of a sudden it gets recorded. Huge hit. And I was like, it all started at the listening room. It was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That's, That's why I love this place, man. It's like, I got to play, I mean, I played not three different venues. I guess the one on second was when I first started playing it. But I built a really good core of friends because I was texting you and Chase and we were doing like an every other month thing. Yeah. And it was me, Mitchell Tenpenny, Devin Dawson, Adam Doliak, Andy Albert. And we kind of built this little core. Yeah. We were writing songs and kind of like trying them out. You know, it was kind of like a stand up comic when he gets up and he's like, I'm trying new jokes. I don't know if this is going to work. We'll see. <laughs> and so we were just getting reactions and it all started over on Second Avenue for us. So it was that's awesome. really cool. Yeah, man. Man, I remember um, hanging out at Losers yeah. uh, the night. Uh, I think it was the night after they wrote that song. Oh yeah, and um, John Stone was like, uh, "Dude, you got to come out. You got to yeah. you got to hear this." And yeah. we went and sat in his uh, his old Jeep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and he played me. Yeah, we did a bunch of shows with John and, and like American Young back in the day, and yeah. it was really cool. And John's been working with Lee forever. Yeah. So um, it was cool because when they wrote the song, as I understand it, they wrote it and they were kind of like, "We're open to anybody." And John was like, "Well, let me start with Lee." And it never lands at the first artist. Like, it's always like, let me start with Lee. And then who knows, five years down the road, somebody cut it. But they started with Lee the next day. And he was like, yep. Yeah. And like, it never happens like that. So it's like one of those like one in a row stories. (laughs) I think the radio version, and we're getting off topic, but I think the radio version too, if I remember correctly, is Lee's demo. Like he went oh, in really? saying it went one sang, time. Yeah, I think he went in like, and sang on their demo to see if he liked it. Yeah. They were like, this is it. And there, there was like, you know, maybe some punch like here and there. Was that like, doesn't happen. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. like I said, one in a row, man. Yeah. That's how it works. But. Well, so um, so you're in town. Yeah. Um, you're playing writer's rounds. Yeah. You're getting your crew together. Yeah. So then kind of walk me through the, the trajectory of like, you know, what happened and what led you to Sony and everything yeah. after that. Man, I, so moving here in 2012, I was here for... About four months, and uh, I played a Debbie Champions round over yeah. on West End at the Commodore. And uh, sorry, and I um, met this guy from Kansas City named Johnny McGuire, and we were on stage together playing around. I played one song, he played one song, we swapped numbers, and uh, the next day we met up, and wrote a song, and wrote another one, wrote another one, wrote another one. And after about three or four weeks of this, um, I was working at Longhorn Steakhouse on Murfreesboro Pike and uh, bartending. And this lady came up to me, and she was working there, and she goes, hey, my husband's a songwriter, and he needs, like, a young country vocal. 
to sing these demos and he'll give you free studio time. Now studio time to him was like his basement. I'll push play. You record (laughs) if you screw up, whatever, you know, but that's just what it was. And I was like, this is awesome. So I drove out to Ashland city once, twice a week, sang some demos for this guy. And then he would let me record my songs. And after a couple weeks, he was like, what, um, who are you writing these songs with? Like these songs are pretty cool. Like who are you writing with? I go, man, I met this guy from Kansas city and we're just writing songs. And he's like, why don't you bring him out here? And so about a month into this whole ordeal, this was probably fall of 2012, Johnny comes out there with me, and uh, we're sitting there playing songs, and Gary Cotton was the guy's name, and he goes, man, you guys should start a band. <laughs> and we were like, no, like, I had done the Texas scene, and I'd been in a band for three or four years before, and I was kind of like, I just don't want to jump back in a van. And at this point, it would be a national thing and tr- drive to Boise, Idaho for 500 bucks. Like, I just, like, <laughs> that just doesn't sound yeah. financially responsible. <laughs> um, but uh so we start you know singing these demos and gary starts mixing them and they keep coming back and they start sounding better and better and you know songwriting to me is like working out the more you do it the stronger you get so the songs kept getting better and um after probably six seven months of this we were looking around like man maybe we should start a band (laughs) like what what do you think and so we were talking to gary one night and gary he smokes like a freight train and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette and he goes uh he goes, man, Johnny, I really wish your last name wasn't McIntyre because Walker McIntyre just doesn't roll off the tongue. And uh, Johnny looks at me and looks at Gary and goes, Gary, my last name is McGuire. And Gary goes, well, hell, Walker McGuire sounds awesome. <laughs> and so we were like, well, I guess we're a band now. And so that was probably end of 2012 into 2013. And uh, we really were just like, okay, we're going to start writing for a project and try to go get pub deals, try to get record deals at the time. Johnny was selling like analytic software downtown. I was still bartending. And um, man, then it, it literally felt like, Chris, it felt like I blinked an eye and we were three singles into a record deal. And like this was 2016, 17, but in, the, in those three or four years, I mean, we toured everywhere. Yeah. Went on the road with Lee, went on the road with Kane Brown when Kane was just coming off YouTube videos. Yeah. Like we got, and Granger Smith was really good to us. And then uh, we met uh, Mickey Cones. And Mickey owned Westwood Studio over uh, in Berry Hill. And uh, we walked in one day, and Johnny, me, and our buddy Brian Carper, who we were writing songs with, we just started playing songs for Mickey. We got about three songs in, and Mickey goes, all right, that'll do. And we were like, oh, he doesn't like it, you know. And Mickey goes, I want to I want to cut some sides on y'all. And we were like, and at the time, he had just done the Dustin Lynch record. He was coming off Sonny in 75, and yeah, for Joe mm-hmm. Nichols. Like, he was a hot producer. Um and we were like, oh, man, this guy wants to, he wants to do it. And so we went in and started cutting some songs. We cut this song called Till Tomorrow. Yep. And uh, John Marks was uh, at Spotify at the time, and, man, he really loved it. And he was like, I'm going to put this, I'm going to playlist this. People need to hear this. Blink of an eye, 20 million streams. And we were like, whoa. Well, like, and then labels started calling. And we started taking label deals, and our label meetings, and ended up at Broken Bell yeah. with Benny Brown and then, Four months after we signed, Benny sold the label. And I was like, well, what do we do now, you know? So, but uh, it was a whirlwind, dude. Those five years, I tell people all the time, they're like, dude, what was that like? That had to be crazy. And I'm like, I don't really rem- It happened so fast. Like, yeah. first off, it's not supposed to happen that fast. Like, it's usually, like I said, 10-year town. But I was three years into the town, had a pub deal. We're about to sign a record deal. And I'm looking around like, whoa, like we're doing photo shoots. They're putting makeup on me. I'm like, well, hold on. What is that? I'm from a small town in Texas. Like, I don't wear makeup. What yeah. are we doing here? Um we're flying to LA. We're going to London. Like it was, uh, it was wild. It was a lot. It was, um, 
but it was awesome, man. It was fun. like I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Obviously, I don't I don't have the record deal now, and I'm just writing. But um, man, it was it was a whirlwind, but it was awesome. And been at Sony now for it'll be four years in November. So yeah. that's been crazy. Like uh, coming out of that record deal, I guess it was the end of 2018. I had just gotten married. And my wife and I had bought a house out in Mount Juliet. And uh, I woke up one morning and I was just kind of like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to try to chase the radio thing as an artist anymore. Like I, I was, I had fallen out of love with songwriting. Mm. And the reason I moved to town was to write songs. Yeah. And I had, you know, I was on the road Thursday, Friday, Saturday, home Sunday. You do laundry Monday, Tuesday. You're back in the bus Wednesday. And it's fun. And it's a grind. And you get to hang out with your buddies. And you're playing music for a living. So you can't really complain. But I got to the point where I would look at my calendar on Monday, Tuesday, and I didn't want to get up and write a song. And I was like, this is a problem. Like, yeah. This is my dream. This is my passion. And I don't want to do it. Something has to give. And um, I just kind of had this like coming to God moment where I was like, look, man, I'm married. I have a house. I want to have kids. I want to be a dad. Like, and I just kind of walked in the label one day and was like, I don't, I don't want this anymore. And Caught a lot of flack from, like, our camp because we had built a camp. Heck, I had moved my brother up here to sell merch for me. So it was like, what's mm. he going to do now, yeah. you know? And I loved the guys I was on the road with. Still talk to him this day. Heck, my old guitar player is trying to sell me a house now. Like, they're still good friends. But um, it was just – it just didn't feel right anymore. Like, it, the, the thing I moved to town for was to write songs, and I didn't want to write songs anymore. And I was like, this is a problem, mm. you know? And I was just super jaded towards the town. So signed over at Sony in 2019, dude, and the last four years have been – the best four years in town yeah i feel like i got to start over honestly i feel yeah. like i was lucky enough to start over which was awesome well and that's such a great family rusty is oh, like man. uh he's the best. just one of the best the yeah. best so, dude yeah um, i met him through uh i was writing songs after the record deal it was kind of it was a lot of muddy water you know like i was going in 2018 and i was writing all these songs in the fall and then the top of 2019 and everybody was like hey are you doing a solo record like hey who's producing your new stuff and i'm like no man i'm just I'm just a writer. Like, I don't, I don't want to do the artist thing. And people, and actually, I got a lot of, like, cold shoulders. Like, well, if you don't have a record, I don't ride with you. That's kind of, this town, yeah. it can be There's like that. There's a lot that. of that, yeah. There's a lot of that in this town. And it's like, I had, you know, we had five rights a week when I had a record deal. No problem. These guys got a record deal. They're looking for a single. Oh, I'll, every, everybody, everybody wants to ride. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, he doesn't have a record deal anymore. Okay, well, maybe he's trying to get another one. Oh, he's not trying to get another one? I'll just cancel that date. And it, it kind of hit me in the face. And I was like, okay, so from, I got married in November of 18. So from November till about August of 19, when I was coming out of my publishing deal at Combustion, it was kind of just like, I was like dead fish, like just sitting there in, in the ocean, like looking around, like, will somebody write songs with me? But I realized then, like that was the, that was a big eye-opening moment because I've talked to a lot of people since and they tell me they felt the same way when I first moved to town. And I'm sure you did too. You want to write with everyone, mm -hmm. everyone, anyone that'll have you in the room. You want to write. You have something to prove. And then you realize that if you just have your five, six, seven, eight guys and girls that you write well with, just dive in, dude. Just let that be your camp. Yep. And from from late 2018 to mid 2019, I found that core. Guys like Adam Craig, Jacob Davis, John Pierce, like those kind of guys, Tranny Anderson, like people that I love writing songs with like it's not yes it's about the end product and it's about getting songs recorded but being in the room for three four five hours and just hanging out having a cup of coffee telling stories getting to make stuff up on a guitar with them like 
that's what it's about for me. And yep. luckily, the last four years have been nothing but that, and it's been awesome. Yeah. So, but Rusty, man, he took a chance on me because he didn't have to. He, uh, I'd written a bunch of songs with Ben Hayslip and Tim Nichols and um, Emily Wise Band and all that camp over at This Music. And uh, I guess Rusty just took a liking to something I did, and he was like, I want to sign you here. Um, he goes, but I'm about to take over Sony. So give you a couple months. And I remember calling my mom and be like, I think I'm going to sign at Sony. And she was like, what does that mean? I was like, I think it's awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, that's a big deal. Yeah. And so been over there since uh, November of 19, man. That's and it's great. just been, like I said, that story took 20 minutes to tell, but it felt like five seconds. Like when I felt like I blinked an eye from the time I moved here to now. But it's refreshing too, because this town still is like a dreamer's town to me. Like people move here because they, they want to be here, not because they have to. Like yep. that's the difference. A lot of people move for work and they have to go somewhere. Like you don't have to be here. You can play music anywhere. Like you can go start a band in any town in America. But if you want to be in it, this is the place. You, you know got to be here. You got to be here. Yeah. So. Um, well, so I know I know a lot of your stories, but pretend I don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I always tell everybody like, pretend like we don't know each yeah, other yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. So yeah. good to meet you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, walk me through. Um, you know, kind of. Once all that's going, um, the the first song that you that you were like, oh my gosh, like this is something's happening. Yeah, I think the first song was Till Tomorrow. Like it was like we wrote it over at uh, John Doris's place on 18th, oh, a place yeah. called Hallmark. And John had managed Blake Shelton and John Michael Montgomery and Doug Stone, and um, we were kind of working with them and kind of had a handshake deal with them where he was going to introduce us to a bunch of people, and he did. And he introduced us that day to. Uh, Brian Carper and Trey Matthews and we started writing songs man and we had just like we didn't know what we were doing we just knew we thought we knew what sounded good and how our voices blended Johnny and I and uh we were in Trey's office and we wrote this course and I don't remember whose idea it was I don't remember how the melody fell out it was just once we got done we listened back to the work tape on the voice memo we were like guys I think this is really good like we I don't know we've none of us have like huge hits but i think this is really good yeah and uh sure enough then we went and played it for mickey you know six months later and he was like guys this is this is very good like you need to go record this and um so that i think that was the first like a wow moment like we had other songs johnny and i had written just two ways that we would go play out and put on youtube and then you know we were on the big d and bubba show which was huge massive for us um and it was cool because Johnny was living at a place or on Second Union, and he had a little condo up there. And uh, he had through a through a mutual friend. I'm probably gonna mess this story up. So Johnny, if you're watching, tell us what I got wrong. <laughs> through a mutual friend, he had met Patrick Thomas, and Patrick was the producer of Big D and Bubba, and they were on the Big 98, and they had the big morning show, you know, before Bobby Bones. And uh, we went in and. He had introduced me to Patrick. We went and watched Patrick do stand-up because he's, kind of, he's, a, he's a comic as well. And then one night at Hotel Indigo downtown, Patrick was playing, and we went and watched him because Johnny lived across the street. And uh, I guess Patrick's third on that round had, like, dropped out. So Patrick was like, yo, do y'all want to play? Aren't y'all doing, like, a duo thing? And Johnny was like, yeah, man, we'd love to play. And there's actually a hilarious picture I'll send you so you can post it. We're playing. We're about halfway through the first song, and you see Patrick kind of looking like okay and I mean he's in country radio like he knows you know and wildly enough timing wise they had been looking for a new artist to help break on a segment they were building called Chasing the Dream and Patrick goes yo do y'all want to come in the station next week and play for our audience 
And I was like, and I grew up listening to Big Damn Bob. Yeah. So I'm like, wait, aren't they in Wichita Falls, Texas? And yeah. he's like, no, 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 it's syndicated. We're in Nashville. We've been in Nashville a long time. And uh, I remember going into the studio and just walking in with our guitars and meeting them and being like, dude, these are the guys from the Billboard back yeah. Like, these are the guys. And uh, you, then you nor you realize they're just normal dudes. Like, they're just, they're just awesome guys. And uh, we go in and play a song. I think the first song we put on there was called Zero to Sixty. And that one had gotten some gotten some movement on YouTube and like social media and that was just like and then you and then you go from you know 300 family and friend followers on Instagram <laughs> to like kaboom it's like 15,000 you're like whoa hold on what's going on because they had a massive they still do um, but I think I think the first one that we played that we were like this is this is really good needs to be heard was till tomorrow and I think like I, still to this day, man, I'll be playing here. And I haven't been in that band in five years. And people are like, yo, do you remember Till Tomorrow? Like, can you play Till Tomorrow? I'm like, sure, let's do, do it. Do you remember Till yeah, Tomorrow? Do you, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? And I'm no, like, I forgot that one. Yeah, I forgot that one. That was, But that was that was the first one. But then you have other songs that turned out to be cuts or big hits. And you're like, we didn't think it was. We thought it was cool, but it was like, you know, whatever. You yeah. know, there's a lot of different stories like that. But long story short, I think it was uh, Till Tomorrow was the one. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Tell me, uh, tell me the story about uh, sitting in a bar, meeting a guy for the first time. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a godsend. That was awesome. Um, this this had to be twenty fifteen, I guess. Uh, my buddy Ray Fulcher, one of my best friends, one of the best guys in town. Guy was in my wedding. He's just awesome, dude. He's single, ladies. If you're if you're looking, he's got a lot of money too. Um, <laughs> but he. Uh, he had slid into my DMs on Instagram, and he was like, dude, I really like your songs. Like, do you want to ride? I'm about to move to town from Georgia. And, like, yeah. Like, I, I was just – I was trying to ride with everybody, like yeah. we were talking about. And um, wrote with Ray a couple times, wrote a song, um, wrote three or four songs, and then one night I'm at Losers in Midtown. And I'm standing there, and Ray comes up, and he goes, hey, dude, what's up? You know, good to see you, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, dude, uh, he's on the phone, and he goes, hey, dude, my buddy's about to show up. He just moved to town from Carolina. You need to meet this kid. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll ride with anybody. And sure enough, this guy walks in, and he's wearing, like, jeans and a PFG and probably Crocs. Hair's all long and scraggly, and he's got this ball cap on. And he goes, hey, man, nice to meet you. I'm Luke Combs. And I was like, what's up, buddy? And he was like, I was like, what do you, you, you want to be a songwriter? He goes, no, man, I'm, I'm going to be a singer. I'm, getting, I'm an artist. And I was like, okay, that's what everybody <laughs> in this bar thinks they're going to do. So welcome to town. You know, yeah. it was kind of that thing. And uh, we sat there and I probably, I mean, I had some money because we had been on the road making like cash deals. So I bought Luke a couple beers, you know. I mean, the guy, when I met him and I tell people this and it's true, he had a Dodge Neon that legitimately wouldn't start. Like one out of every 10 times he would, it would start. So we would have to drive out to Hermitage, pick him up at his apartment and write songs with him. Um, I was talking to James McNair. I saw you had him on the other day, and he yeah. was like, "Man, how oh <laughs> tables turned." <laughs> yeah, but uh, he, um, yeah, man. So I bought him a few beers that night, and uh, I was like, "We should, you know, we." I did the old Nashville thing. We should write sometime. We should write some songs, you know. And uh, he was like, "What are you doing tomorrow?" And I was like, uh, "I look at my phone." I was like, "No, I'm actually off tomorrow. What do you want to do?" He was like, "Well, I can come to your house. We can write a song. You know, we can do it tomorrow." So me, him, and Ray sat there, had some more beers, got way too drunk. They showed up at my house the next morning, hungover, and we sat on the front couch. And I was living with Andy Albert. Yeah, Andy's one of my best friends. He was also at my wedding. He's just awesome songwriter, great dude. Um, 
and uh, Andy's in the back room working on tracks, like working on these demos. And this is one of my favorite natural stories of all time because <laughs> Andy hates it. And so they're working, uh, he's working on these tracks. Luke, uh, Ray, and me are sitting in the living room. And we're trying to throw out ideas. And Luke goes, man, I got this idea. It's, uh, the title would be When It Rains, It Pours. And I was like, okay, I like that. Like, it's conversational. They say write what you know. Like, I've yeah. heard that saying. And uh, I was like, what's it about? What do you think it's about? Like, what's the concept? And he was like, man, I think, it's, uh, I think it goes like this. And he started playing this, like, slow thing. And he was like, basically, like, my girlfriend left me. I walked outside and it's raining. And I was like, man, that's super depressing. Like, <laughs> I'm trying, we're trying to be on radio. That's not going to work. And at the time, radio was like, I mean, FGL was huge. Like, it needed to be a real big radio anthem. Like, yeah. it needed to be a tempo. Um, up tempo and about a girl, man. That's what they say works. But uh, So he throws this idea out, and we sat there for like an hour trying to figure out the angle. And me being the idiot I am, I said, dude, what if we wrote this thing like I get broken up with? And then I have the best two weeks of my life. <laughs> like, it's the best thing that happened to me. Like, when it rains, it pours. It's all positive. And uh, they were like, okay, let's try that, you know. And we just started kind of dabbling. And back then, Luke knew, like, three chords, man. He was new to the guitar. It was G, C, and D. So we're like, let's just keep it simple. Just G and C. Just hammer the one four. And uh, I said, we were talking. And I think Ray looked at him. He goes, all right, well, how does this thing start? And Luke was like, well, I... I was I came home like I was drunk late Saturday night and man she was like pissed off like she was so mad that I went out with my friends again and so Ray was like why don't we just start like it was like Saturday night man she was pissed off and I was like well man if we want to go on radio you can't really say pissed off and technically it'd have been Sunday morning you know it'd have been 4 a.m. so Luke just belts out out of nowhere Sunday morning man she woke up and he kind of stopped and he's like what can we say besides pissed off and somebody said fighting mad and I remember when I first heard him sing, like I said, we were all hung over, and I was like, whoa, hold on. This guy can really do it. Like, this is, this is a voice. Yeah. So I sneak back to the kitchen, and like I said, Andy's back there working on <laughs> tracks, and I dive back to the kitchen, and um, I look in the room. I go, Andy, dude, you got to come out here. He goes, what's up? And I go, this kid, Luke Combs, man, you got to hear this kid sing. I was like, I think we're on a cool idea, too. And I told him, like, this could be like a Brad Paisley song because Brad was huge. Like, yeah. This is it. And Andy goes, man, I'll, maybe next time I'm going to work on these tra work on these tracks, you know. <laughs> and uh, so Andy missed out on a big old multi-hit yeah, number one. Yeah. He still tells people to this day that's the one that got away. So, And it was great because that ended up um, – we wrote that in 2015. And then in 2017, we had the song had kind of flown around, and we thought it was cool, but everybody was like, nah, kind of cheesy. It won't really work. It's 290s, you know, whatever. And Luke kept saying, I'm going to get a record deal, and I'm going to put this thing out. He kept telling us. And we were like, all right, yeah, like we believe. And at the time, I had a record deal, so I'm kind of focused on my thing. He's doing his thing. Ray's writing songs with both of us. And we were like, and it kind of got lost in the shuffle for a minute. Like, we didn't really know what was going to happen with it. And then Luke signs his record deal. Uh, Lynn Oliver signed him over and signed him through Sony Columbia. And uh, they went in, and they, had, they cut like 10 songs. And when they did... When It Rains was, like, number 11. Like, it wasn't really on. It was kind of in limbo because the radio wasn't that at the time. Like, it was, like When It Rains, It Pours, my buddy Chris Owen, he works up in Buffalo, and he's a big, big, big radio guy. And he said When It Rains, It Pours helped bring the format back to, like, the 90s vibe yeah. that I grew up on, that I wanted, that I wanted to write every day, that yeah. I still get to write every day, luckily. But, um, yeah, so Luke signs his record deal. And he's like, I'm going to, there's these songs, yada, yada, yada. He puts out Hurricane. Hurricane goes, 
takes off. Massive hit. And um, this is one of my favorite memories with Luke and Ray was in 2017, we're in Key West for the Songwriters Festival. And I'd met my wife in Key West three years before. So she was down there with me. We're all hanging out, having a good time. And Luke, we were supposed to play Sloppy Joe's at like 2 o'clock that day. And it was going to be me, Ray, and a couple other people. And Luke was like, I'm going to come there. He goes, I have a, I have a radio meeting because Hurricane was top 10 at the time or maybe top three. He's at a radio meeting. We're trying to figure out the next single. So there's all these program directors, and we're going to play them all the songs we've recorded. And uh, they played them like five songs, and When It Rains It Pours was in that batch. And so Ray and I are standing at Sloppy Joe's about 1 o'clock on this Saturday in Key West, and we're in swim trunks and big old bamboo hats, like having a blast. And Luke walks in, and he goes, Let's, he looks at the bartender and goes, can I get three beers and three shots of tequila? And they're like, oh, man, thanks, you know. You got money now. You got a top three single. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, uh, cheers, boys. Here's the When It Rains It Pours being the next single. And that's how we found out. And at the time, we were, like, elated. Like, this is awesome. We're going to have a big old single on radio. But we also didn't know because he had just come off his first hit, and they were going into single two. And they're like, okay, a lot of labels can break artists and get them a hit. But the second single, it's like that's when you, that's when you know you're kind of establishing yourself. So that was the moment for me was getting that single on Luke and also Till Tomorrow was at radio. So I had two singles oh, and man. I was five years into town and I'm like, dude, I've got this town by the balls. Yeah. Like, man, nobody's <laughs> got nothing on me. And, uh, but that was an awesome moment, man, was meeting him at Losers and then literally in like a two and a half year window having a big old hit on him. So it went mm. number one on my birthday in 2017. Did it really? Dude, it, like, it was like a movie. Like, I, speaking of Boise, Idaho earlier, I was in Boise, Idaho, and we were playing the Knitting Factory radio show. Yeah. And I was with uh, Adam Craig, and he was, play, he was playing the show with us, and uh, my birthday is October 29th, so it was like a big Halloween bash for him. So we all went to Walmart that day and bought, like, onesies to wear on stage. Like, yes. gummy bears and, like, all kinds of crazy stuff, like Teletubbies. And um, I knew at the time, so Reigns went to radio, like, second week of June in 2017, and it just, beyond our wildest dreams, just started screaming. And we were like, I remember looking, and I tried not to look at the charts, but like, you kind of, you it was not. like my first yeah. time. Like, I was like, oh, dude, it went from 31 to 25, went from 25 to 18. Like, oh my God, it's happening. And uh, Luke is skyrocketing. Like, he's playing like all these huge festivals and he's doing direct support for like Luke Bryan and Dirks and FGL. And I mean, people are just coming out in droves and singing every word to his songs. And that's when I kind of look, remember looking at Ray and going like, okay, we got, there's something here. This kid's for real. But I was in Boise, Idaho, October 28th of 2017. And uh, I guess that's mountain time. And so I'm about going on stage about 1030 that night. Big radio show. Adam had played. Another artist had played. I can't remember who it was. And then we were on. Johnny and I were on. And right before our set, this was like 10, 15, Adam comes up, pours me a shot of whiskey. He goes, cheers, brother. You got the number one song in the country. And I said, what? Hold on. No, no, no. It won't go till midnight. He goes, East Coast. He goes, you got the number one song in the country as of about 11 minutes ago. And Chris, I lost it. I was like, I got cried. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, this is awesome. Like, and I hadn't looked at my phone because I was doing radio stuff. And I had 50 text messages from Luke, from Cappy, from Ray, from everybody in Luke's camp, like, from my publishers. And they were like, bro, congrats. It's, it's going. As of 
right now it is the number one song of this week <laughs> and i was just, and i was about to go on stage and i'm like oh god i had to call my mom i called annie i was, my wife. I was like oh my god oh my god and uh so my birthday is at midnight that night so it's already my birthday on the east coast so yeah, i'm like this yeah. is the best day of my life you know <laughs> um and i go out on stage johnny and i play about a 30 minute acoustic set and we were pretty drunk at this point so i looked at johnny and i go man this crowd's really into it it's my birthday I've got the number one song in the country. I think when I'm done playing, I'm going to take this onesie off, swing in the air, and throw it into the crowd in nothing but my briefs and a T-shirt. And Johnny's like, I'll do it if you will. And I still have the video of us chunking our onesies Dude. into the crowd. And I said, well, we might have just lost our record deal. <laughs> and that was like, that was, and then the next night I went and watched John Bellion at Marathon Music Works. It was like the best 24 hours of my life. So it was just like, and big shout out to Luke, man, for believing in that song and, yeah, when number one on my freaking birthday. And Man. I was just like, I remember just being like, I'm on top of the world. There's nothing can stop me. And then COVID hit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was awesome, man. That was, a, that was a big moment. And meeting him was, meeting Ray, first off, was a godsend. Yeah. Like a DM on Instagram. Like everybody gets a ton of those a day. Yep. Like, what if I just didn't respond? It's like everything in life is timing, man. Kind of like Andy not walking out of that room. Yeah, kind of like Andy working <laughs> on track. Like, and it was the best part of that whole story was at the number one party in, Later that year, <laughs> later in 2017, we were at BMI. I'm up there on stage with Luke and Ray, and everybody's giving their speeches. Like, you've been to number one yep. parties. And I'm the last one to go. Or I'm right before Luke, and I go, uh, I'm giving everybody a shout-out. My parents, my girlfriend, my fiancé at the time, um, my co-writers, my publishers, my bandmates, everybody. And at the very end, I go, one last shout-out. I go, big, and he's standing at the back of the room. <laughs> I go, big shout-out to my old roommate, Andy Albert. I was like, because this song could have very easily been a four-way, but he said no, and I realized a three-way pays a lot more. <laughs> he was in the back so mad, dude. And still to this day, man, he tells people, like, I could have wrote that. Yeah. He says it comes on the radio, and he's just like, that's so funny. Love you, Andy. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank yeah, you. man. He's had hits since then, so he's doing great. Yeah, he's, but, doing, he's doing fine. Yeah, but it was funny, man. That was a, that was a wild time. It, I literally felt like I met Luke, and then – he is where he is now. Like yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. Like this town does that though. Like you hear other stories like that. But like when I met him, I'll say it again, Dodge Neon would not start. And now he's like sponsored by Ford and doing all this stuff. Yeah. And like, man, he's crushing it. It's also a testament to like what you were talking about in the beginning. Like when you move to town, yeah, you want to write with everybody you oh, yeah. can. Yeah. You're gonna learn a lot. Mm -hmm. You're gonna meet friends and all that. But then you know, like with Luke, he's got his camp. Yeah, and that's, oh yeah. You know, like you yeah. and Rob Williford. Yeah, and, those guys. And James, James and Ray. And yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's like you find that core group that works. Yeah. It's like, you well, know. Well, man, it's like, it's the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. And like Luke has that down pat. And it's super admirable because there's a lot of artists, and I was one of them. You sign a record deal and you're like, all right, I'm going to go get all the hit writers. I'm going to go get everybody that has written a dozen hits and I'm going to have them write me five more. Luke had the mindset of like, I think I could be wrong in this, but I think like his first four or five singles, it was every writer's first number one. Like, I think like yeah. me, I was Thomas Archer, Taylor Phillips, Ray and I, Rob Williford. I mean, James, James like yeah. all, all of his big singles, like his early on that first record, everybody's like, it was like their first single, man. It was like their first big hit. Which, it won't happen again. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't happen like that. And he's really, man, he's really, he's got his guys, man. And, and it's cool because he knows his sound, he knows his audience, and he was like, 
I'm gonna hammer this. Like this works for me. It's like Taylor Swift, dude. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift found her her avenue and she said, okay, here's five people I write well with, and I'm selling millions and millions of records. Why, Why change, change it? it? Yeah. Why? Like I don't. I've always wondered that, and I've had this conversation with a bunch of my songwriter buddies. Like, why do these artists get record deals, have three or four hits, and then change producers? Like I'm like, think about think about like, I mean, there's five or six I can name offhand. Like Jason, Luke Bryan, Keith Urban, Eric Church. Um, Tim McGraw, like think about those five, same producer, yeah, every record, yeah. Like you've got Keith and Dan, you've got Jay and Eric, you've got Jason and Michael Knox. Like those guys, they st- Blake Shelton, Scott Hendricks. Like yeah. they stay, stay the course, man. Let them grow with you. Don't get to the point where you're looking around and going, I need a bigger sound. Da 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 da. Like I need to go hire a bigger, better producer. It's like there, there's some truth in that, but also there's something super cool and admirable to being like, hey, you were with me from day one. Why don't why aren't you with me on record ten? Let's let's do it all together. Yeah. And there's sometimes instances where it just doesn't work that way because somebody falls out or somebody falls out of love with the project and it just doesn't work. That's happened too. And I've been a part of that. But there's something super cool to me of looking up and going like, Oh, I love this Blake Shelton single. But this sounds nothing like ten records ago. Who did this single? Oh, it's still Scott Hendricks. That's awesome. Yeah. Like I love it. Like you have to let people grow with you. And I think there's a lot of that missing in this town, but if you really grab it and you like can really own in on it then you can you can take over the world man like, yeah you really grow with your people and i think that i think luke is like for me being in town since 2012 luke is the pinnacle of that and i'm sure other guys have done it like the jason aldean camp like he's had those same cats for ever i mean you saw him in the hicktown video back in the day but now it's just like you you let you let the people around you grow with you and that's to me what makes a really good camp yeah and you get you like the the talent will will grow but you also get so much tighter it's like your band sure. right like yeah. if you if you're if you're rotating band it's never going to be that tight sound yeah. yeah so um yeah the people a lot of people do the hired guns thing when they first move to town where it's like every weekend different guitar player different yeah. bass player different and that was something like growing up in Texas and watching like Wade Bowen Randy Rogers Crossing and Ragweed Roger Crager Kevin Feller every time I went and watched them same guys on stage same guys like you get to where every song sounds like a record because you know what this guy's going to do. It's like playing sports. Like, if you know what the guy next to you is going to do, it's going to make you that much better. You're not guessing. Yep. You know, it's it's all instinctual at that point. And Luke did that. I mean, Luke's done that, and he's added band members, and, and Rob just left to be mm-hmm. just a songwriter, which is good for him. He's doing what he wants to do and produce records. But, I mean, you look at, like, Jake Summers, you look at Tyler King, you look at Kurt, you look at all those cats, and it's like, this is the core of this band, and yep. they've been there since the jump, since the first Luke Combs show. And you just, there's something, I don't know, man. I don't understand the whole, like, we need to get bigger, better, faster. Like, I love the, like, the road to go from bar band to stadium band. Yeah. And it's the same cats. Yeah. Like, Driver's been with Eric, like, 18, 20 years. And, like, he said, dude, when I, when I started with Eric, we were doing bar bands because we got kicked off the Rascal Flats tour. Like, they got kicked off the Flats tour, started playing bars, and now he's Eric Church doing yeah. four-hour sets by himself, no support. And Driver's been with them since then. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Like, I don't I – don't, me, personally, it, we had the same band. We rotated a couple bass players, and then we would have, like – we would add a guitar player as far as, like, we would go from a five-piece to a six-piece. But we always had the same core, like, three or four guys. Yeah. And it just – to me, it made it more fun, too. It's like a brotherhood at that point. Yeah. You're not guessing what's going to offend someone or da-da-da on the bus. Like, can we say this? Can we not say this? Like, does he like this video game? Does he like this whiskey? Like, it's like, you know your guys. Yeah. And I love that. I love You're that. You're a family. For sure. For yeah. Sure. 
This episode is brought to you by Sennheiser Microphones. When we first started this podcast, we were using some older microphones and Sennheiser came in and sponsored us and gave us some MK4s and 914s. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's made all of the difference in the world. We love these microphones. We use them at the listening room as well. And I just can't say enough great things about them. Go check out Sennheiser.com. If you are into music in any way, their microphones are hands down the best on the planet. Go check them out, Sennheiser.com. And thank you, Sennheiser, for the support and the sponsorship. We love y'all. So uh, after uh, after that happened, um, you know, then then kind of what was the trajectory after that with you know, the, the next songs that started, you know, yeah. like, you know, they just kind of started pouring out. Man, it, yeah, it's been, uh, coming out of the record deal. Cause it was a, it was a weird time. Um, whenever you have a record deal or for me personally, when I had a record deal, everything I wrote combusted, my publisher was like, well, we're going to, we're just going to kind of hold on to this in case you want to record it. We don't really want to pitch things. And it bummed me out. And I love combustion, still love those guys, still write with a lot of those guys. But I was like, I want to get outside cuts, man. My, my, my biggest hit is an outside song. Like, I want to go, I want to be a songwriter. Like, I love being in this band at the time. And I was like, but I want outside cuts. And um, I just never really got on a roll because everything was like a Walker McGuire song or it was just kind of buried in a catalog. Like, it never really went, there was nothing in between. And um, after getting off the label, I remember looking around and going like, okay, now I need to go and find artists that I believe in and other writers that I believe in and just start writing the best song every day. Just try to write a better song today than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. And if I do that enough times with enough people that I believe in, something's going to happen. Like, it's just going to happen. I had that mentality. And uh, sure enough, man, signed over at Sony in 19, and these last four years have been awesome. Like, it seems like every month there's a new song coming out. And yeah. it's like... And that's a big shout out to my team. Avi Roop's over, over there. She's my publisher and she's freaking phenomenal. Maya Hansen was over there for a while with me. Tom Luteran's great. And then obviously Rusty, we were talking about it. Like to me, there's not a be- better publisher in town. Yeah. Like he's just, if Rusty Gaston plays you songs and you're an A&R, you listen because it's Rusty Gaston. And yep. he's built that name. I mean, he built this music with Tim Nichols and Connie Arrington from the ground up. Yeah. And that thing was had a 15-year run. Like this town's never seen an independent half. And, I mean, I, I heard a stat the other day, and I could be wrong on this, but I heard somebody talk about it. I think this music was around, like, 15 or 16 years, and they were either nominated and or won Song of the Year at one of the big award shows eight times. As an independent, that's, that'll never happen again. Yeah. Like, it's, that, that's, that's a big boy award. Like, that's Sony songs, Universal songs, Warner songs. And, but Rusty just said, I believe in this team and these creatives. And I'm going to work these tirelessly until the results show. And that was kind of my mentality with writing songs. Like, I believe in this crew of writers, and I am going to wear this this operation out until it either the wheels fall off or until my Dodge Neon starts, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and that it kind of happened, man, and it's been great. Like, writing with – I look at my calendar. I'm actually writing with Doliak today, and he was one of those guys I brought up earlier – and I look at my calendar now, and there's never a day that I look and I'm like, who is that? Or have I ever written with him? It's like the consistency to me is awesome. Yeah. Because I can look at my calendar, and I can know this day I'm getting this kind of song. This day I'm getting this kind of song. This song will be pitched for this person. Oh, there's an artist in the room this day. And so signing at Sony has been like the best like career decision of my life because mm-hmm. – 
the team and the pool they have obviously is awesome. But the the calendar and the people they put me around through Aubrey and those guys, it's like I can't ask for anything better. I'll, I mean, if they'll have me, I'll ride for them for the next 20 years. Yeah. You know, they're just – I just love it over there. And then they remodeled the building, and it's beautiful. It's and it feels so, like a five-star oh hotel. Yeah, yeah. It's like you walk in, and you're like, okay, I can work here. Yeah. I like this spot. So, um, I mean, it wasn't bad before. No, but no. But then, like, through COVID, when they, like, oh, redid dude, everything, yeah. it was so like, oh, that, my gosh. And that was what was crazy. Like, that – like, the COVID thing was like – I mean, obviously, it shocked the world. But for me personally, I signed – at Sony in November of 2019, like November 3rd, my wedding anniversary, like the day, the day of a year to the day of my, me getting married, I signed at Sony. So I was like, okay, this is a good sign. It's a good omen. And then five months later, they were like, Hey, you can't come to work hold on, anymore. Hold on. You, this is, this is like going back to the superstition. Yeah. So like it's crazy, dude. two, two. Yeah. And then birthday. Yeah. And then wedding anniversary. Dude, I'm telling you, like, I, I always tell people like, it sounds like I'm making this up, but when I check the dates, it all lines <laughs> up. Like, I moved here 2-22-2012. I had a number one song on my birthday. And then I got married November 3rd of 2018. I signed at Sony November 3rd, 2019. And I'm like, those are my dates, I guess. Yeah. February 22nd, October 29th, November 3rd. Those are my dates. Um, but I signed over at Sony, and I was like, okay, this is where we're about to take over the world. Like, I'm about to ride for every artist in town. It's going to be awesome. And then March hit, and everybody was like, yeah. "Hey, guess what? You can't come here anymore. Like we we don't know what's gonna happen." And for, I mean, for three or four months after that, I didn't write at all. Like this was before they figured out Zoom. Like how did? Yeah. And nobody knew if COVID was gonna be. Nobody knew what COVID was gonna be. First off, like I still don't know if people know what COVID is. <laughs> I, I don't. But it's like you you look around and you go, "Okay, maybe this will be like a week or two. We'll shut it down. It'll stop the yeah, spread." Exactly. Two months later, you're like, okay, maybe next month, maybe next month. And then all of a sudden it turns into like a year and a half deal, whatever it was. But um, that gave Sony, the, to your point, gave Sony the opportunity. And they were like, okay, Rusty just took over. He wants this to be the place to ride at. We need to facelift this. And they went in, they painted the building. They gutted the fire hall and the main building. I mean, to the studs. Like I went in there in August of 2020 with Rusty and we were walking around and it was Chris, it was just metal beams. Like you could see through every floor. There was not a wall in the place. And he was like, this is our vision. He goes, we, there was a huge conference room when you used to walk in. Yeah. And Rusty remember, goes, yeah. we don't use that. Like, why is this here? Yeah. He goes, so I'm going to make this look like a five-star hotel. And I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll see. And now you walk in it's, and you're like, yeah, it's hard what? to even like picture walking in before and the and pale like, blue walls. you know just yeah with the sony it sign. looked like a hospital it's basically you walk in and you go to the right to the elevator and that yeah, was it that was, it was it. like nothing there there was now no like, like true front desk or no lobby it was like you walked in they had the piano to the left and then it was just like a wall and there was a conference room so it was like the first floor was nothing but the studio and a bathroom yeah that was it so you would walk in go get on the elevator go up and then you saw people it was like oh people work here this yeah. isn't just like the end of the world and you're walking into zombie land and now you walk in and there's a beautiful young lady named Lark there and she's yep. awesome and she greets everybody at the door and then there's good coffee behind it there's drinks snack the snack game Full at bar, Sony the outside area the, Dude, the putting yeah, green it's, like, yeah. it's like he went for it he yeah. was like he I remember he brought he brought a few songwriters in and he was like how do I make people want to A come here and yep. write songs but B write for this staff like how do I get them to want to be here once their deal's up at wherever and we were just like you gotta make it fun to come to work like you gotta make you you can't be it can't be pale blue. You can't just walk in and go, this looks like a hospital waiting room. Yeah. And it did for a long time. And nothing wrong with that. I mean, they were getting results. But yeah. 
now, man, the energy and the vibe. Like, I've noticed a huge turnaround there because used to, whenever you got to Sony, you'd get there at 10.55, you'd walk in a room at 11, you'd write songs. You get there at 10 o'clock now, there's people hanging out, drinking coffee. Like, the the hangs are the best part. Like, the 10 o'clock, get there, have coffee. Hey, what'd you do last night? Oh, dude, you watched that game last night? Oh, dude, you took the kids to the park? Like, oh, how was vacation? Like, that's what I love about yeah. it. The camaraderie amongst, like, it's like the old, the water cooler talk, you know? Yeah. But you're doing it in a very nice, like, resort, <laughs> basically, yeah. at Sony. So, I think him flipping that over at Sony has changed. And, I mean, the results are there. Like, so, I think they've won back-to-back publishers of the year. Like, they're crushing it. Yeah. And I love being a part of that team, dude. He also, um, just a, a, a shout-out to Rusty, is like, we were having lunch um, years ago, like, this was right after he took over, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he was kind of talking about, uh, you know, he, he gets this opportunity. He was like, what, what am I doing? Yeah. And um, he, he went in, he, he somehow got the janitor to let him in. Yeah. And he goes in at night and he walked through the entire building by himself, yeah. praying over every room Crazy. and just saying like, this is, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. Yeah. And, and he handed it over and he just, you Dude, know, like, and that's who he is. Yeah. Like, and that's why I love writing for that. I love saying that's my boss. Yeah. Like when I see, like he just won executive of the year in town. Like yep. I, there's a sense of pride throughout that whole town, uh, throughout that whole company that Rusty's our boss. Like yeah. he said something to me that, that I can legitimately say changed my life. We were, uh, I just come out of my combustion deal. And he was telling me he wanted to sign me at this music. This is before he knew he was taking over Sony. So this would have been July or August of 2019. And he was like, hey, let's go have a beer at Tin Roof. I want to I talk to you about my vision for your career as a songwriter. And he sits me down at Tin Roof to Mumbrian. And we're having a beer at the bar. And uh, he goes, what do you think you were put on this earth to do? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you think for yourself? And I said, man, I really feel like, and I'm, I'm in songwriter mode. I'm like, I'm trying to get a new pub deal. I'm like, I just, I feel like I was put here to, to write songs. Like, I want to be able to wake up every day and tell a story on my guitar. And he goes, yeah, but even deeper than that, he goes, you were put on this earth to draw emotion. Happy, sad, good, bad. I love it. I hate it. Get on stage, write a song, let somebody hear it, and watch their reaction. You are there to draw emotion. He goes, I genuinely feel like, guys like you guys like Ben Hayslip Tim Nichols like the guys he was working with he goes you're one of them you need to be you need to be here working with me he goes because I was put on this earth to inspire creatives like you to make you be better than you were the day before and I remember sitting there and my whole idea of a publisher changed right there I used to think I wrote a song I gave it to my publisher patted him on the back and said hey please go get this recorded and at the core that's what it is yeah but man, when I when he said that, I got home that day and it was like a, I, I have to write songs for this guy. Like I have to turn my songs into Rusty Gaston, because he had such a grasp on what his what his his God given ability was. Like yeah. he's he is the best motivator in this town. I've got text messages in my phone, whether it be Michael Jordan quotes or Derek Jeter or Bible verses. Like he knows how to inspire me, and he know and he knows how to inspire the masses. Yes but he knows how to inspire individuals. Like he gets to know you at the core. Yep. And man, writing and working for a guy like that, knowing every day when I show up, he's gonna be there before me and after me working just as hard, and he doesn't have to. Like yep. he's doing very well. And Sony's crushing it, and he can kind of cruise. Like some, and sometimes 
big publishers do that. They get so comfortable that they're just like, okay, I've got the machine rolling. Now I'm just going to go chill. Yep. He's not that guy. I mean, I've seen that guy pulling in at 6 o'clock at night, unloading snacks into the lobby, and he's the president of maybe the biggest pub company in yeah. Nashville. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen. But he said that to me that day. He goes, I was put on this earth to inspire you to be better every single day. I'm like, that's like a locker room speech, dude. I was ready to run through a wall. I was like, this is the guy I need to write songs for. And I had taken five or six meetings with different publishers, and I was trying to figure out what's better. Do I need to go with more money or more percentages? Or And when he said that to me, I was like, okay, that does none of that matters. Yep. I don't care if you pay me $5 a month. I want to write songs for this guy. And uh, that guy's changed my life, man. He's, yeah. he's the best, and I love him, I love him dearly. He's awesome. Yep. Um, walk me through another song. You pick. Another song. Uh, I got one. My favorite song I've ever written. Okay. So, my favorite song I've ever written, and I didn't know it the day I wrote it, is a song called Backseat Driver. And I play it here every time I mm-hmm. play. Um, I wrote it with Jacob Davis. Um, Jacob's got three beautiful little girls. Um, and I've got two little girls now. I've got a two-year-old and a six-week-old. So, I wrote this song probably three years ago and I didn't have any kids we weren't my wife and I we weren't even pregnant at the time I didn't know we were gonna have kids um and uh Jacob shows up to a right late one day and uh (laughs) typical Jacob and we were both coming out of record deals he had just his record deal was ending I just kind of walked out on mine and um we were just writing songs man that was when I was telling you I was just trying to get my camp yeah and uh I had this title he started telling me a story about his daughter in the back seat and how he's like dude he goes you'll get it one day he goes she'll ask you'll, your kids will sit back there and they will ask you a million questions why is the sky blue why is the sun hot why is not why is the moon not hot oh you see that dog you see that airplane and he started telling me all this and as he's telling me you know we're looking for a song idea and i go man I, what if we write a song called backseat driver and it's not about like your typical like oh turn left here turn right here it's about somebody basically telling you their perspective of life from a two-year-old's eyes and he was like, oh, man, I could write the hell out of that. And he goes, I'm, I, that is me every day. Like, pick up and drop off. That is me. And uh, we sat there. And I think, dude, this song fell out in like an hour and a half. And when I wrote it, I was like, oh, this is cool. When Jacob wrote it, he goes, Walker, this might be the best song you've ever written. He goes, this is probably the best song you've ever been a part of. And mm-hmm. I go, really? He goes, you'll get it one day. He goes, you'll have kids and you'll understand it. You'll get it. And I was like, okay. You know, we'll see. I don't know. And then sure enough, my little girl's two now. And dude, she is that song. And it is it is mind-blowing watching this song come to life through yeah. her. And she is so chatty, as you can imagine. I'm her dad. And she, I mean, everything is like, oh, there's hay. That's for cows and horses. Oh, there's five horses. Oh, there's two sheep. Oh, look at the school bus. Like, it's that thing. And uh, that song has turned into one of those songs, like, I always say it, and I mean it. I don't care if it ever gets recorded. Like, it was on hold. I don't want to say the artist, but it was on hold for, like, 16 months. And we were like, okay, this song is going to be a big hit for this artist. And then, sure enough, wasn't on the record. Yeah. So it was like, okay, cool. But I always tell people, like, I don't care if the song ever gets recorded. I will play it every time I get the chance. Because in a room like this, there's 100 people out there with little kids. And they're like, when you play it, you see them crying. And you see them, like, looking at pictures on their phone. And that's going back to Rusty's point, drawing emotion, yeah. making people feel something that they probably didn't know they were going to feel in that moment. I get up there and I play songs like One Night Stand about a legit nightstand. Yeah, yeah. And then I play like all these dumb songs like She Drives Me to Drink and then She Drives Me Home. And then I play Backseat Driver. And they're like, oh, this guy's not just an idiot. He has a heart. And uh, that's probably my favorite. If I had to pick one song 
like I said, if it gets recorded or not, and I could say, they could say he wrote that song, that would be the one. Not even the Luke Combs, that one. I texted you the first time I heard that. Yeah. I was standing right up there, Dude. and and uh, I I got lost listening to the uh, the first verse and yeah. chorus, and then yeah, the McDonald's drive-through. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, dude. It was just like, and that's what people do is like, we start the song with 730 in the morning in the Mickey D's drive-thru. How many times have you been there and you're trying to give, you're, you got a coffee and an orange juice and a muffin and you're like, you're looking there and the whole idea was like, there's a, there's a McDonald's on 12th Avenue over here. And I used to hit it all the time coming into town and I would get like a sausage biscuit and a coffee. And every time there was a homeless person sitting out there on the corner. And if I had any cash, I would hand him a dollar. And I started thinking about that, like, in that instance, like, what if I was doing that with a kid in the back? The first thing they're going to ask is, hey, who is that? How do you know him? And you don't. And you don't know how to explain it. It's like the Reba song, what do you say? Like, mm-hmm. You don't know how to explain what you're doing. You can't just be like, oh, he, he lives there, and I'm giving him money so that he can keep living there. They wouldn't get it. So you have to explain it to like a two-year-old. Like, you have to be like, okay, I just gave him a dollar because sometimes I give you a dollar. Sometimes you just give people dollars, which you don't, yeah. but sometimes you do, <laughs> yeah. you know? But, uh, yeah, I remember you sitting up there and texting me, and I feel like every time I play that song and somebody records it, they'll post it on their Instagram, and I'll look up the next morning, and I'll have, like, 40 new followers, and I'll have, like, 10 messages. Like, oh, man, I have a three-year-old. I have a five-year-old. Oh, the worst, the, the most heartbreaking message is, like, oh, I had a four-year-old that died of cancer mm. and this song reminds me and that will hit you straight in the gut because when you write songs like that you don't think about that like you're just you're writing about your little girl like how and like and then it, you start realizing like music heals man it really does yeah. like it truly truly does and we were just talking about earlier before we came on like you know ben like you know he yeah. passed away and i remember the first time playing till tomorrow at Belcourt taps and ben coming up and go man that's got big potential that song's really good. You guys sound really awesome harmonizing to it. That's great. And like, you know, Ben passes a couple weeks ago and I'm looking around and all I can think about is that song and that moment playing on the one tower Bose speaker yeah. into a room of 20 people and 10 of them are just eating chicken tenders and don't care about what's going on at all. But Ben's sitting back there running sound and it's like that, like music is my life. So like my memories mostly revolve around that. And so when I think of you know, my little girl, I think of backseat driver. When I think of Ben, I think of till tomorrow. When I, you know, when I think of my wife being pregnant with our daughter, I think of songs like she drives me to drink. And I'm like, my, my life is it's in song. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps me tell stories like I do. Luckily. So good, man. Yeah, man. Do you want to play a little bit of it? Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to hear? Uh, backseat driver. Let's Let's do do that. We'll get through it. I got my allergies. Uh, my allergies are kicking in. It's Tennessee, man. So I got it right here. Yeah, so like I said, wrote this with Jacob Davis um, back in probably 20, 2019. And it wasn't, uh, it hasn't been recorded. Maybe one day it will. Maybe somebody will watch this will cut it. That's right. So, uh, yeah, this is Backseat Driver. Seven thirty in the morning in a Mickey D's drive-thru. Two muffins, one coffee, and a little bitty orange juice. I saw a man with a sign on the corner. I rolled my window down, handed him a dollar, and that's when I heard her ask, "Hey, Daddy, who is that?" But before I could answer back, 
She said, Daddy, look, there's a plane in the sky. Are we there yet? Did you just see that dog run by? The squirrels have houses in the trees. Why God put stingers on honeybees? It's crazy all the things she sees on the side of the road. Out of that window beside her. I wish I could be more like her. My little dangling feet, pretty and pink backseat driver. Mm. Yeah, man. That's one of my so favorites, good, dude. dude. That's yes. the one I'll, like I said, I'll always play it. It's, yeah. uh, and I, I, it'll get recorded someday. Like that, a song like that, it has to. Yeah. I really believe it. So, and I play it here every night, hoping that there's some A&R person there. Like, yeah. I'm playing here Saturday night and I'll be like, Hey, if you're out there and you work for a label, this could be for your artist. Yeah. So yeah, man, I love that one. It's so good, man. I, yeah, I, I remember, you know, you got through that first chorus and that's where I finally, I pulled my phone out and started recording yeah, dude. and uh, sent it to my wife. You know, we've got three kids yeah. and uh, man, it was just one of those that um, just, just punched me. Dude, you know, and I'm telling like, you, like, like oh. I said, when we wrote it, I didn't have any kids and I wrote it thinking, this is a good song. This yeah. is cool. People will relate. I don't though. And now that I have two girls, I'm like, I can't relate more. Like, <laughs> yeah. That song is my, and it's crazy to think I like, and I tell people I'm like, oh, I love that song you wrote about your daughter. And I'm like, well, I didn't. But I'm like, yeah, I love it, you know. Yeah. But I didn't. I wrote it two years before she was born, and now I'm like, th- to me, what makes it great though is that I wrote it two years before she was born, but now that she is two, I wouldn't change a word. Like yeah. that song is my life. Like, and I wrote it through Jacob, basically. Like he's got three girls, and he was like, Walker, this is what we need to say. This is how it needs to go. I remember the line that he looked at me and he said, "That's it." And I said, uh, "Why did God put stingers on honeybees?" Because he said his daughter was playing in the yard one day, and she was like two, and she was playing in the flowers, and she got stung. And they, it was like a Sunday. They had just been to church, and God created all. you know. And she comes in, the good and the bad. And she comes in, and she had a bee sting, and he was like, it's okay. And she said, well, if God loved me, why would he, why would he let a bee sting me? <laughs> and Jacob had told me that story weeks before. And I was like, man, what if we put that in there? Like, the squirrels have houses in the trees. Why did God put stingers on honeybees? It's like that sounds like yeah. something a two yeah. like oh they live in the tree. Oh, is that their house? Like my daughter is now consumed with cows and horses and every time we drive by a barn, she said that's a cow's house. And I'm like, yeah, that's a I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it is, sure you know? It's yeah. like you just and it's so funny because she calls her little place set in our backyard Addie's house. She's like that's Addie's house, that's mom and daddy's house, and that's the cow's house. And like you like I said, I wrote that song before she was born, but it's now she would be like, oh, our squirrels live in trees, so that's their house. Oh, so they have their own kitchen. They have a TV in there? Like, yeah, sure, whatever you want, you know? And, uh, yeah, that one's, a, that one's a special one, dude. I think we'll look back on that one, Jacob and I, in 20, 25 years and be like, that was, that was a big day, man. Yeah. And we, we, didn't, we don't even realize it now, Yeah. but I love that song. Yeah, so good. Well, man, thank you so much for, uh, for being me, here. Yeah. I always uh, always end with the same question. What's up? So, um, if you are looking at eight year old self, okay, knowing what you know now, okay, and all the success that you've had, okay, what advice do you give yourself? Oh boy, keep playing piano. <laughs> no, uh, man, I just think this is gonna sound cheesy, but it's so true. Like, I'm so consumed with like the timing of life. Like we're talking about the dates and how they line up. Like, just realize that everything in life is timing like 
if you're having a bad day, if you're having a good day. I heard Tom Hanks say it one time on a podcast, this too shall pass. Like, and I'm kind of trying to live my life with that. Like right now I have allergies and I'm taking for granted all the times that I could breathe normally. Mm. But this too shall pass. Like the good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the beautiful moments, everything that is going well or going bad, it, it, it'll all pass and you're living in the moment. And so just, just realize that it's all timing. It's all in God's hands. Yep. And just keep living, keep going, man. Because I could write the best song of my life today, tomorrow, or I could have wrote it yesterday. Who knows? But it's all timing. And if I had to look at myself eight years old, I would say two things. Keep playing piano because I'm so mad that I don't play piano anymore. <laughs> keep playing piano and just keep your head down, man. Keep grinding. And, dude, you're writing songs for a living. You got it pretty good. So, yeah. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. Thanks, brother. It's been fun. Yeah, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks, Doc. This has been another episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Jordan Walker. We will see you next time. This has been an episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to chrisblair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes, like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.